You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Well, good morning. Um, it's great to be with you this morning. And today, um, while we are continuing the Church Forward series, we're at a bit of a juncture between kind of like part A and part B. So really quick recap, part A, we've been looking at some of the enemy's schemes, what we refer to as those fiery darts, those arrows which he fires at us, trying to destroy or diminish or kind of contain us so that we lose our testimony or lose the power and the authority that is ours through Christ, okay? And that's the enemy's plan. We looked at fear, and indifference, doubt, weariness, and pride. And uh, the purpose of these was not to kind of point out fault or to shame, but or to add guilt or kind of heap up kind of uh, blame, but to healthy up the church so that we are able, as a church, to stand, as Jess has just read, and then when we have done all things, to stand. Standing is the issue here. The church in fear is too afraid to stand. The the church in weariness is too tired to stand. The the church in doubt is too uncertain to stand. The church in indifference is too unconcerned to stand. Kind of meh, whatever. And the church in pride is too loveless to stand. And actually, the church in pride thinks that it's standing already. Today, we're going to get on to part B, and we're going to begin taking a good look at the armour of God. Now, I'm not going to take a, a detailed view of these parts today, because I know that Margaret, Andrew, Ian and I will be taking you through these individual inputs, how we apply them to our lives, how we can stand with them, how we equip ourselves in the kingdom. But here we have the breastplate of righteousness. I am so chuffed with this. Thank you so much, Ross. Ross isn't in the building. Oh, he's there. The breastplate of righteousness, this stab vest. I hope I'm applying it correctly. There we are. The breastplate of righteousness, okay? The belt of truth. He actually took the pepper spray out. He he was worried that I might mace Ian or something like that. So it's better safe than sorry. Apparently, oh, I haven't got my arm in there. Apparently, it's actually a firearm. I didn't know that. So there you go. Pepper spray is a firearm. Let me get myself done up. So that's the belt of truth around my... Sorry? It's a, it's a bit tight, I'm not going to lie. Like, Ross is a bit like more slender than me. The helmet of salvation. Check this out. I love it. Fantastic. Um, oh. The sword of the spirit. I was umming and ahhing about whether I'd do that because I was worried that I might hit Margaret Thompson in the head with the flies over there or something. The sword of the spirit. Of course, 
the shoes fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And I don't have with me a shield. I actually asked Ross if he'd get me some riot gear. <laughs> I wanted the full on helmet and visor and like hands and everything be properly tooled up. But he couldn't get his hands on that for me. I'm so grateful for this. Now, if you can handle the distraction, I'm just going to carry on preaching like this. Okay. <laughs> Try to take me seriously. <laughs> but from next week onwards, we're going to look at each of these implements and what they actually do. Why they are essential. Because uh, today, we're going to take a wide view of the armour of God. How they relate to each other. Because the armour relates to each other, all the parts of armour relate to each other in much the same way, sorry, much the same way that the body of Christ relates to each other. And that's a really important distinction, a really important thing to note today. The armour works together in the same way that the body of Christ, the church, is meant to work together. In other words, there's not an unnecessary part. There's not a part that you can leave at home. There's not a part that doesn't matter. There's not a part of the armour or of the church that if it's missing is not a problem. It's all important. And we as a church need to be equipped together and engaged together. That is important. Being engaged but not equipped is dangerous. Being equipped but not engaged is pointless. So today I'm going to look at three points. Ian and Margaret will love that. I don't do that often. And they all begin with E, which is fantastic. So we've got the environment, the engagement, and the equipment. We're going to start by looking at the environment, the battle that we are in. Now the thing is, I might feel pretty safe in my neighbourhood, in my house, in my life. I might feel safe in sunny Donetsk. I might feel safe in good old Blighty because generally, like, we don't have that crazy of weather that they have through Tornado Alley. We, we don't have all the, the snakes and scorpions and spiders of Australia. We've got a pretty decent life, safe life in the UK. And maybe that lulls me into this sense of security that actually everything's all right. I feel pretty safe. Why do I need to be ready to stand? What am I standing for? Or who am I standing for or against? Well, Paul says there is a struggle, a battle, unlike any ever fought or to be fought. It is a warfare that encompasses and informs every sub-battle that we see, physically or otherwise, in this world. We are in a war and it's already being waged. It's surrounding us in our countries, in our communities, even in our families. There's no escape from the spiritual warfare that is taking place. If you feel safe, I don't want to make you feel afraid today, but maybe just to give you a gentle kind of like, hey, come on guys, there's something going on out there, spiritually, that impacts you. And it impacts the person next to you. Everywhere you look, you might feel like you've got immunity or invulnerability. If you do, you have been misled. I'm sorry to burst that bubble this morning, because everywhere you look, violence, decay, 
abuse, pain, deceit, fear, depression, addiction, despair. I could go on and I could go on and I could go on. It's all the outworking of this wall, okay? You might not even physically see it, but it is happening relentlessly, often imperceptible to the naked eye. Paul says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Look, the devil's game plan is to destroy or silence or marginalize what God has created, particularly what God has created in his image particularly his children, particularly his church, the true church of Christ. You know what I'm talking about here, male and female, young and old, Jew, Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, Scythian, barbarian, slave and free, everything that encompasses the church of Christ, those who have the spirit of Christ in their hearts and their lives, those who bow to the Lord Jesus Christ and confess his name, Satan wants to destroy, silence, marginalise. He doesn't care how old you are, he doesn't care how long you've been a Christian, he doesn't care how manly you are, he doesn't care about any of that, he wants to silence you, destroy you, marginalise you. Not flesh and blood, but rulers and authorities and powers of the dark world. It's interesting, side note here, to consider the effects of COVID. Now I'm not making a statement here on where I think COVID came from. But it's interesting to see what the effects of COVID have been on humanity at large, but also particularly on the church. Think about it, kill or destroy. It literally steals breath. That's what COVID does. The thing that God put into you, into mankind, that makes man alive, and COVID is a stealer of that thing. And then you think about speech and singing. In all of creation, we are the only created beings that are given a voice to declare God's praises. And COVID wants to silence that, stop us singing. And then the next thing is that it marginalizes. Think of social distancing. How horrendous it's been to go through over a year and not supposed to be, I say that as a caveat, supposed to be allowed to hug people. Be in each other's homes. Like one of the key things of church is to fellowship, to be together. There is no such thing as a church where it's an individual person and that's it. It's always about the collective, always, always. Whether we like each other or not, we're family. Satan wants to destroy all of that. And it's not just about that, but it's also about these ideologies that are influenced by forces of darkness. You know, there are significant ideological forces at work through the world's politics that are astoundingly anti-Christ. Anti the true gospel. They want to silence. They want to marginalise. You know, in the time where Paul wrote these words to the church in Ephesus and other churches as well, it's shared as a circular, okay? In the time he did that, there, there was Roman rule across much of the known world. And in that time, the Romans had no problem with Christians believing that Jesus was God. None. What they had a problem with was that Christians didn't also accept their gods. That's the problem. You can have one more God. That's no bothers. Yeah, fine. We might even 
like have a go ourselves. But because Jesus was exclusive, no other name given among men. No other way to salvation. The way, the truth, the life. That's what the Romans had against the Christians. And actually, it's exactly the same today. You are welcome to be a Christian. It'll even be celebrated. So long as you're just doing good. As long as you keep it in the building. As long as your views, like, are kind of modern views. Don't take a traditional line of what the Bible says. Like, if you can embrace something a bit more modern, then that's fine, that's acceptable. Christianity is brilliant, we love you. You do some great community work, thanks guys. Great food banks. But you see, the problem is, when we say no, there's an exclusivity here, Jesus is the only way. That's when the world's ideologies start to have a problem. You are welcome to say that Jesus is the truth, so long as you also endorse my truth. So however careful or diplomatic you are, however you think you can avoid this, sooner or later, ideology loves to force you to nail your colours to the mast. Sooner or later, you will be faced with the choice to stand for the truth or fall for the compromise. All of you. Will you be able to stand? That's what this is about. Will you be able to stand? Will your armour be enough? So let's go over there, you know, because I want you to be encouraged. We don't stand unprotected. You are going to face that choice at some point, but you're not going into it without backup. And there are two ways that that backup is going to happen. And the first is by having the armour of God firmly attached to your life, to your soul, to your walk with Christ. Now, being engaged but not equipped is dangerous, right? Being engaged in a fight without having any of the tools, dopey. Okay, in general, throughout the history of warfare, most sensible armies, okay, have armed themselves defensively as well as offensively. Okay, they are protected as well as able to attack. I love that noise. It's so good. To go into battle without armour, it may well be brave, but it is foolish, isn't it? I mean, guys, I don't want to offend you, but only crazy people go into battle wearing nothing but kilts. <laughs> Just want to put that out there. <laughs> but the Romans, who are Paul's reference point here, they were world-conquering as an army. Their organisation and their armour, second to none. Okay, they were at the cutting edge of the technology of the day. At the time, they were more than equal to any other opponent, no matter how ferociously they attacked with their claimants. The Romans, well, actually, they didn't do it so well with Scotland, so let's, let's note that for the record. The Romans did terribly in Scotland. They couldn't overcome you guys. Well done. Kilts maybe are the way forward. Okay. I'm trying to think how, because we don't have many Romans wandering around our streets today fully armoured, okay? So I was trying to think, what, what does that look like? I mean, is it like modern battle dress? Is that what I could use as a modern day analogy? This is why I landed at the police, because, you know, they don't use swords in battles these days, but the police have something very similar. They, they have their armour. They have a belt. 
They, they have everything that they need, and that's why I thought about the police. Think about modern-day riot police, okay? They have a helmet, a shield, a stab vest, a baton, and, of course, the shield and the belt as well. But there are a couple of essential points for the effectiveness of the armour. And that is true for the Romans, as much as it's true for modern riot police, and as much as it is true for you and I spiritually in this room right now. And the first thing is this, that the armour works best together. Okay? Paul says twice, put on the full armour of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. He says it twice in two verses, I think 11 and 13. Put on the full armour. Put on the whole armour. Don't leave a part of it out. Get the whole lot. Get tooled up properly. Put on the full armour. Armour is most effective when all of it is on correctly in place. Each bit relates to the other bit. You see? I don't want to be in a fight with just a helmet and no shield. Or, or what good would the shield of faith be if I've forgotten to put on the belt of truth so that my trousers around my ankles while I'm trying to go to a fight? Spiritually handicapped there because I haven't fully armed myself in scripture. Like, don't cherry pick. When we come to these bits of armour, they are all essential for you. Don't cherry pick, it needs to be complete. For my second point, actually, Ewan, can I borrow you for a second? Is that possible? Can you run up, are you happy to? You feel a bit? (laughs) Come on, mate, if if you're happy to. I've got something for you today you're gonna love. Because my second point is the armour has to fit. Okay? It barely fits me, I'm pushing it away from my tummy as it is. Okay, come in, mate. Right, first of all, you need this. Okay? Second of all, it's a little bit heavy, mate. But it's a bit sweaty because I think Ross has worn into the ground a little bit. Okay, mate. is that heavy? Let's get this tied up for you, okay? Wow, look, I would not pick five of you right now, Ian. <laughs> you got my belt, hang on. Do you want this? Don't, don't hit me, okay? That's quite heavy, isn't it? Now, oh, one thing we really need for you is the belt of truth. <laughs> I'll just do, I'll demonstrate that in front of you. There you go, it's about two. It's done a lot fatter than you. So it's nice. <laughs> Brilliant. Look, there was a young man who was the only one who had the courage out of the whole Israelite army to go and face the Goliath. By the way, I calculated today, Goliath was something like 10 foot. This stage is 5 foot. I'm 5 foot 6. You're looking at Goliath right now, guys, okay? And here's David. And what happened first is David comes up and he's fully ready. Let me at him. I'm going to take this guy down. And Saul's like, you can't go in there unprotected, David. That's just crazy. Here, wear my armour. And so David puts on Saul's armour. Does it feel like it fits you? Oh, he said yes. He feels like it fits him. All right. They say never wear it with kids or animals. That's brilliant, mate. That's amazing. It does look a bit big. It's kind of like... Can you, can you just walk over to me and see? Oh, man. Okay, I'm terrified. That's really good. Thank you so much, Ian. I'll wear uh, it happy. I'll take something down. And it's very heavy. Do you think you could, you could slay it 
uh, giants wearing all this stuff? Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. And modern day David, there we go. Thanks so very much, mate. High five. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Russ, as well. Don't fall over that ear. <laughs> the thing is that the armour has to suitably fit. It has to be made for you. And the thing you might be thinking is that after David tried on Saul's armour, he took it off because it, it would have hindered him, and, and he went out to fight Goliath with nothing but basically a toga and a sling, and yet defeated Goliath. Now you might say, well, David was unarmed. Well, no, he wasn't. He had the armour of God on him. He had the shield of faith. He had the belt of truth. He had the blessed breastplate of righteousness. He had the helmet of salvation. He had the footwear that was suitable for the gospel of peace. He went out fully tooled up and armoured so that when he faced Goliath, it wasn't little David that won the battle. It was the king of kings who won the battle. Armour needs to fit, and God's armour always fits. And the next thing is that armour needs a decent manufacturer. You don't want to get into battle feeling like you're all tooled up, only to find out in the thick of it that your armour was made by some knockoff kind of cheap uh, copycat kind of company somewhere off in the back of beyond. You don't want to find out that your armour that you thought was like the most impressive iron is actually made out of plastic. You don't want to figure out that it looks really good and shiny, but actually it's useless in the fight. You need your armour to have a decent manufacturer. Whose armour lasts? Yahweh's armour lasts. Whose lion mark is stamped upon your armour? The Lion of Judah. Who has tested the armour against hell's forces? Jesus Messiah. Who guarantees his work? The Holy Spirit. You know, the armour that God puts on you is perfect in every way. Flawless. It's been tested, it's been proved, it's been guaranteed. And it will not let you down. So wear the armour. That's what we're looking at in a couple of weeks' time. And then finally, third point, the engagement. And this is so important today, guys. Because being part of it, being engaged in the battle, is not a selective role for the church. There is no Sunday... Christianity in the kingdom. I want to say that with gentleness, but it doesn't exist. What exists is a body that Paul says every ligament, every part, every digit connects in some way to the other. And if, if you are completely tooled up, but you're not engaged with the church or with the battle, it's pointless. It's actually worse than pointless because it's hurting the rest of the body. 
You know, if I have all my gear on spiritually, but I'm not standing in the thick of it with my brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm leaving them vulnerable. This is so important, church. We've become so individualistic in modern society. We talk about personal salvation, having a personal Lord. And this is true. You have a personal relationship with the King of Kings, but it doesn't stop there. It was never meant to stop there. Christianity, following Christ, being a disciple, is as much about who is next to you right now, who's across the room from you, like him or not. That is what Christianity is about. That's what following Christ is about. It's not just you and God and everyone else can do their own thing. It's you and God and the church together. It matters. It matters. Just as with the armour, so too with the ranks. Effective armour has no gaps. Effective ranks have no gaps. Armour, I want to make a point here. It's going to sound really obvious. Armour was worn on the body. We are the body. You don't wear God's armour for yourself alone. You wear it for your brothers and sisters. You wear it for those in Christ who have stood to your left and to your right in the battle. That's who you wear the armour for. If you go and you're not tooled up and you're in the ranks, you're a danger to everybody. If you're all tooled up and you don't turn up, you're a danger to everybody. It means that if you or I are absent from the line, it affects all of us. I want to make you aware this is not about attendance. It's about engagement. It's not about, oh, I go on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, that's me, tick, tick, I've joined the line. It's about being church. And that's one thing that we are growing. That's, in fact, that's the thing that we want to see grow here at Riverview Church, to be a kingdom community of believers who have each other's backs, who interact with each other, who fellowship with each other, who don't see church as being 11 o'clock to 12.30 on a Sunday morning or 7.30 to whenever on a Wednesday night. We see church as being Monday morning, 8.30, somebody phones me and says, I'm in trouble, can you pray for me? We see church as you put in a connect group, I'm really struggling, can you help me? Or can you give me some advice on this, please? That's part of church. We're seeing church being about in and out of each other's houses, in and out of each other's lives, loving each other, supporting each other, holding each other up. That's what church is. And and this thing, I'm going to make these points... Because the thing is, we're to hold the line together and we're to stand together. But I want to take that step further. Paul takes that step further. He, he doesn't just say stand together. He says don't attack each other. I know that person might have just riled you so badly. But if you strike back, you're hurting the body. If I hurt my body, my head registers it as pain. If you hurt the body of Christ, the head 
registers it as pain. Be careful. Be careful. That's why Paul says, in your anger, don't sin. He's not saying don't be angry. Don't be mad at that person for what they said, did, or whatever. He's not saying don't do that. He's saying don't sin within that. Protect the body of Christ within that. Paul says, I hope this is the right slide, because I can't see it, but we need to speak the truth in love so that we will grow in every respect to become the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ, because from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. Not in challenge, not in I'm going to give you a word that hopefully will provoke something in you, but love, love, love. That's how we build the church. How do you fight in this gigantic battle? You love, you build up, you speak truth in love. That's why Paul exhorts in Ephesians 4 verse 3, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And David Pawson, the late and beloved David Pawson, said of this verse that we're not called first to unity of the faith, but unity of the Spirit. There's an important distinction there because we want to be unified in faith, that matters, but first we must be unified in the Spirit. We get hung up on so much styles of worship or culture within the church. We get hung up on whether you're a cessationist or a continualist, egalitarian or complementarian, Calvinist, Armenianist, post-mill, pre-mill, a-mill. You know, half of you probably don't even know what half of those terms are. I've just said, and that's okay. That's absolutely fine. I'm not going to get hung up over the fact that you don't know those words. We get hung up on things. We get hung up on, are you in my camp fully or not? Look, I care. Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Do you confess with your mouth that he is the Lord? Then we're in business. Then we can do fellowship. I don't care whether you're Presbyterian or Baptist or you know, Pentecostal or whatever, Salvation Army. doesn't bother me one stitch. What bothers me is, do you know Jesus? Do you know this Jesus who I love with all my heart? Do you love him the same way? Then we can do fellowship. Everything else will fall into place. Have you decided to follow Jesus, even as you screw it up daily? Do you trust upon his name as the only name by which you must be saved? So this whole message is a message of unity. Right now, in this town, in this church, and in this country, and in this world, the word unity has never mattered more. For the church. Look, the armour is there to protect the individual so that the individual can take his or her place in the line to be part of a cohesive, coordinated move led by the captain. Okay? Roman soldiers, they fought rank in file. That's why the riot police 
are a good modern analogy of this. That they stand in lines, they have each other's backs. It involves great trust and codependence upon one another. That's what we want to build here. Shoulder to shoulder, covering every angle, ready for anything, together. Now I'm going to wrap up, but I just want to tell you something, because over the last few months, some of the guys have been going out in pairs on a Wednesday night while we've had our WhatsApp prayer meeting, which has just been amazing, by the way. Uh, so much so that we're going to keep that going no matter what, I think. But some of the guys have been going out in pairs, praying for each other and praying around the town as they're walking. Sometimes that's led to conversations with non-believers. Other times it's just about doing business in the heavens. And it's all good. And so we've been doing that. But last Wednesday we said, right, we are going to go into the church. Those who normally would walk and we will pray together. So it was about seven or eight of us, I think, there just to pray together as men that night. It was one of the most powerful nights that I can remember having in church in my adult life. And there was a point in that meeting where just the spirit was leading and we ended up standing shoulder to shoulder, but at the same time back to back. So we were in a circle. That was so important because as as men, as spiritual fathers and brothers, we are stood looking out across every point in the town, every household covered in our gaze, and we're praying out there. But we also are praying knowing that we've got each other's backs, that I don't need to worry about what's coming here because Andrew's there, or Ian's behind me, or Eddie's to the left of me, or Ron's to the right of me. It was so good to do that physically. And I believe that the Spirit said to me that night, invest in the men of this church. Listen, men, and ladies, I'm not excluding you. You know, you have absolutely the same ability to stand here and speak as I do, okay? But there is something different about men and women. I figured that out after 15 years of marriage. That's okay. All right, we think differently. Our roles are different. It's not a sexist statement. There need to be spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers, spiritual brothers, spiritual sisters in this church. And sometimes those, uh, they cross each other, and, and that's fine. But men, God is saying, be warriors for this church and for this town. Be warriors. Be spiritually aggressive for the kingdom in this town. And so for the next three weeks, the men are going to continue meeting in Riverview on a Wednesday night from 7.30 to about 8.30 because, hey, God's got the right to do what he wants to do. And we want to invite any men to come and join us. That's not to say we exclude you ladies, but we need to invest in the guys. And ladies, that's good for you. Really good for you. So every Wednesday, men, come and pray together in the church. I'm going to wrap up with this. Being engaged but not equipped is dangerous. Being equipped but not engaged is pointless and damaging. Are you ready to stand? You're not well protected if your armour has gaps. You're not well protected if your line has gaps. Ian, do you want to come and get yourself set up? I'm going to read a scripture to you. 
This text was part of a letter to the church in Ephesus, and it was actually shared around all the other churches in that region as well. So it's not about an individual, it's about a collective. Think about the Lord's Prayer. It's not my Father, it's our Father. Christianity is a corporate thing. Not corporate in the business sense, corporate in the we're together. Following Christ is not an individualistic thing. It is a together thing. And so when we've done all, can we stand? And let's do that right now. Let's stand together. And as I close this, look around. Do you have each other's back? Like, look at the people in this room. Do you have their back? Spiritually. Are you praying for them? Will you pray for them as the Spirit leads? You don't need to pray for every person every day. Don't get legalistic like that. But do you have each other's backs? Are you going to pray for each other? That's a, a charge to a church. Are you going to have my back? Because I'm going to get this wrong. I'm going to annoy you at times if I haven't already several times. I'm going to wind you up and I'm probably going to fail in some significant ways. Are you going to have my back? With that. Am I going to have your back as you mess up and as you fail? Am I going to give you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to witness the steadfast love of God in operation in this church and in your life? How you are equipped and engaged, guys, in this church and in the wider body of Christ, it matters. So I'm going to read this as a prayer over you, taking the Apostle Paul's words through my mouth. May the Holy Spirit apply it to your hearts this morning. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God Yahweh El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh, that you may know the fullness of his presence in your life. And now, because my words are empty, but to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.